Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route to the program where we gather every day at this time, Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather, continue to address the issues between food producers and food consumers. Turns out we've got a guy on the other end from White Pine County, Nevada. That's both. He's a food producer and a food consumer. Hank Vogler checking in. What's going on, Hank? Well, I hate to tell you this, Trent, but oh, I've turned in my into Mother Earth newsletter, and I've been writing hate mail to Spotted Al Gore. It's five below zero. What happened to spring? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think he's going to take the time to read your mail. Just saying. Probably not. He's busy yeah. saving the earth. Hockey yeah. stick. <laughs> yeah, well. I don't even know what to say about that, other than the fraud of this whole climate change should be coming off anytime soon. Anybody who's gullible enough to still believe that nonsense and participate in things like building a carbon pipeline to prevent climate change. And that's where I'm at today. I'm in Garner, Iowa, and we are going to uh, have a fantastic meeting about how we can expose the true, the truth about the importance of carbon dioxide and how the Iowa Senate this week is going to vote to say that you cannot use eminent domain to take people's land for a carbon pipeline. This nonsense has to end. Because if people don't understand what it is, is they created this carbon trading scheme so that they can tell you that the elites can still fly around in their jets like the Al Gore's of the world. And we'll just buy some carbon from some folks. Carbon credits. It's, it's just a load of hogwash, Hank. And that's the kindest word I can use. Never fear, Trent. Never fear. <clears throat> Once the Looney Tunes got the bit in their teeth and started to run away, they don't. They can't get back. Mm-hmm. Now they want to take away gas stoves. I was on the news this morning that New York they want to pass a law that outlaw gas stoves. Well, okay. I mean, what about electricity? What about you know? Are we going to be able to? Uh, have people come by to check to make sure you're not bathing over once a week. I mean, yeah, they cannot get back. They have gone around the proverbial corner with this. And and uh, everything that they say is just mass male bovine fecal matter. <laughs> you know, anything that they have exposed themselves. And now so many people are being affected. It was all right when they were affecting Farmers or a very small group of people, we can we can do without them. What the heck? Well, then we can do without mineral exploration. What the heck? You know, people working. And what about that oil industry? Let's get rid of it too. I mean, we're. Uh, I, you better start looking for a cave. <laughs> well, I just I want to remind people that I I spent a year and a half, the last year and a half, educating people about thirty by thirty. That by 20% of, or excuse me, by 2030, 30% of the land and water will be returned to its natural state. And that is directly from Executive Order 14008. But it's a 57 page executive order. And I, and I always mention this, but I should spend more time focusing on it. 56 of those 57 pages were devoted to how we are going to end fossil fuel recovery, which isn't now we know isn't even a fossil. But it was all about getting rid of energy and fuel. 
Uh, why don't people wake up to that? Well, we just need more of that $6 gasoline. Uh, that, that wakes them up every time, I believe. Or I mean, you know, that's the thing. Until it's your ox that's being gored, right. you don't really notice it. <clears throat> that is one thing about all this. Everybody's ox is now being gored. You know, it's amazing that because uh, I've been uh, out and about driving, well, forever. And most places I can still put in gas for three twenty and diesel for less than $4. I'm shocked that it's that low. And I think it's a lull before the storm, to be honest with you. Well, it, like inflation, they've kind of hit a lull. But uh, and basically put on the backs of more and more people are being laid off and and people are are not traveling as much and, and cutting back on things you know so i mean <laughs> it's just uh, a culmination of everything and that's i think we're going to get to a crescendo and maybe we'll get some common sense uh obviously uh the you know there's a certain party in this country that that has bought into this and stake their future on it and it oh, it sounds sounds wonderful but it doesn't work you know i mean i i think of a guy is living in downtown las vegas or chicago and his car is a status symbol and he, he wants to own a tesla or a mercedes or a cadillac electric okay if you're driving two and a half miles a day to work or five miles and then mile to the grocery store you can keep up with it but what about the rest of us? What about what about the fact gas stoves? What is wrong with gas? It's a, it's clean burning. I mean, it's just all of these things. Uh, you know, you cannot stop the lunacy because, you know, the train has taken off from the station and you're roaring down the tracks telling everybody that, you know, the sky's falling. And you, you know, where do you stop? I got to I got to have you go back to something you said and tell me how you see this playing out. You said we've got to come into where common sense is driving the ship. How do you see that happening when people don't even recognize common? And I'm not talking about every single person. I'm talking about too many of the everyday people that don't even know what common sense is anymore. So how do you see that coming back into play? I don't know that they'll get a complete epiphany, but just more and more people uh statistically uh you know stalin said don't worry about let the people vote it's the people who count them that, that matters well right. maybe that's we finally have got a they're asian african hispanic uh swedes are from Liechtenstein. they've mm -hmm. had a gutful of these rules and regulations and they, there'll be so many people that will vote in another direction hopefully you know, I, and I don't know how else to write the ship. There are no perfect candidates. There are no perfect issues. But one thing you have to say for the El Democraticos is once they start something, they stick with it and they vote 110%, 150% actually. And, and the other issue is, is the two-party system, you know, uh, H. Ross Perot elected Bill Clinton twice. So, again, we have to get enough people mad as they did against Jimmy Carter and voted in Ronald Reagan. Uh, and, you know, we have to do that. We can't have 
these uh, hanging chad elections to where we have the same side of, of, of a coin. Uh, those kind of things. And, and, and that's maybe what we have to do. Uh, Woodrow Wilson wanted, was a progressive. He, he thought that European uh, socialism was the way to go. And, and uh, he got trashed. You know, they got rid of, uh, they changed things over. I mean, it, it, it's just the peaks and valleys of politics. When everybody's content, nobody worries about it. And they vote for the cutest baby. They, they, you know, John Kennedy, whether he was right, wrong, or indifferent, was a handsome rascal, uh, and they voted him in. And and it, it's just the way it goes. All right. So n- nobody can even begin to make an argument that Joe Biden legitimately won the last election. You can't do it. And if your sentiment is correct, I know it's correct, but I'm just saying if we know that it was about who counted the votes, not who voted quoting Stalin. What makes what what could possibly lead a critical thinking person to believe that it was the first presidential election that was counted incorrectly? So my question ultimately is, well, at I'm, what point did that start I'm happening? Sure it's not. It's just I'm sure it's not. It just statistically got so ridiculous that somebody, you know, had to say, hey, what the heck? You know, I mean, even even when a when a dumb sheep herder from North Spring Valley can look at the news and they're having a debate at a card table in Las Vegas over whether they should count this giant stacks of mail-in ballots. Uh, and they had a Democrat there, they had a Republican there, they had all the officials right there at that table. And knew what was wrong. Yeah. I've been in a, a, a mail-in ballot for years. They're folded in three places. These ballots had just come off the pen press. Already filled out, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and they were, they were not folded. Right off the bat today, let's talk about Protect the Harvest. Everything that Hank and I talk about truly has a component of property rights. Free and fed America is only arrived if we maintain our property rights and we are willing to stand up and be heard. But when you stand up and be heard, you want to have a partner that empowers you to get the correct information so you can make a difference immediately. That's exactly why you log onto the website. That's why you contribute to the cause because together we can keep America free and fed. Protecttheharvest.com. Welcome back. Roll out Trent Lewis alongside the farthest thing from the sheep of the sheep herder in White Pine County, Nevada. His name's Hank Vogler. So you don't think that uh, people want to make sure their ballot doesn't get caught up in a machine and they put it in a uh, eight and a half by eleven Manila envelope to send it in to vote? You don't think that's happening? Uh, I have probably issues on both sides. The reason I'm in a mail-in ballot issue out here is because it's a 102-mile round trip to go in and vote, which I did before I was in a mail-in ballot situation. I still have the option of going in and voting in person. But I, I <laughs> you know, we're just, we're just, 
We're just days away from them saying, you know what? Gas is high. You can't afford to drive up here to vote. We'll just vote for you. Don't worry about it, Hank. We got you covered. <laughs> well, and when somebody says, I'm not voting guy, I'm not voting for anybody. Okay, idiot. <laughs> Let me tell you about that. You just gave two votes for the person that you don't like. Well, it's the Democrat or the Republican. You failing to vote is one is not going to vote for the best candidate, and the guy that votes for the worst candidate got your vote. You yeah. gave a proxy to somebody else. That's what's nuts. You got to go vote. And if you say, "Well, I voted third party. I voted for that guy, and he got and he got four thousand votes." Well, in a lot of these elections anymore, fourth from the tide the other way. So again, it's a yeah, it's been a ploy. I, didn't Teodoro Roosevelt didn't he uh, start the bull moose party and messed up a couple of elections? Uh, wasn't it Grover Cleveland that uh, made one term and then lost the term and then came back for a second term or one of them back about then? I might I might be wrong. It, might, it wasn't Garfield. The shot him. <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, politics uh, has been dirty from day one. Honestly, we don't get out of this until we get rid of this two-party system, whether it's three or one or none. I don't know, but we don't get out of this until that because the corruption within the party is never going to allow that allow us to fix it. And I'm taking both parties. Well, well, then do we do a coalition government like Netanyahu has to do? And we have to make favors with the green parties or things like that uh, because we have 25 different choices on the ballot. We mm -hmm. have that now. We have several uh, independent parties. You can you can your vote away to a lot of people, but you party too. The party was even uh, uh, has been uh, risen from the ashes like the Phoenix more than once, and it can happen again. And maybe it takes these scandals. Maybe the Teapot Dome scandal changed the party. Maybe uh, Abraham Lincoln obviously changed the party. Uh, civil rights changed the party. Of course, the Republicans voted for it. And the Democrats voted against it. And they were smart enough to see the smell of coffee. And, and now they're supposedly the party of uh, anti-slavery and all of those things and anti-discrimination. Wow, what a flip-flop. So, I mean... It, it's all in marketing, one way or the other. And if you got, if you got the cutest baby in the contest, sometimes you win, and sometimes you get a guy that can hide in the basement, and all the news media, you know, will vote uh, vote him in. So, <laughs> yeah, that welcome to politics 101. Look at some of the old cartoons, all the way back to Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson, and all that. They're horrible. That's just the nature of the beast. And we all wish for better days. Can you believe back when I was a kid, they had baby contests where the parents would actually bring their kid to the community celebration and one would be deemed the cutest baby? <laughs> so I came dead last. Where did you place? <laughs> I won. I won it. <laughs> oh, good for you. So I'm told. I, I don't remember it. <laughs> it was the last pop, it was the last popularity contest I ever won. <laughs> but still, they, 
think about that premise that who came up with that idea? <laughs> We're gonna come in and judge your babies on how cute they are. <laughs> Probably the same guy that was judging produce the day before. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And if this were a cucumber. <laughs> oh my. So what the world is coming to. That was back it's in the heyday. Well, everything is evolving all the time, whether we want it to or not. You know, yeah. I mean, if this isn't, we're having the, the winner of the great equalizer out here. Uh, I don't care how many carbon credits you got in your back pocket or wherever you keep them. <laughs> uh, we're a real winner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, they're within inches of, of uh, a new record in, in Utah for snow at one of the ski resorts. There's other ski resorts had to shut down because the, the, oh, what do they call it? The thing ski lift, the ski lift. Halls of people. Ski lifts are below the snow. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it's amazing. So, and then you know what? They're, it's just like my. I used to have a neighbor that I don't care what was happening. It could be raining. I mean, raining like uh, a goose grounder, and you go, "Why, right, Earl? What do you think of that rain? That was great." And he'd say, "Yeah, well, that's how the last drought started." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but you know what's so, happening in Colorado? So, you know. Hank, the, the folks that can't ski are trying to become advocates for stopping climate change because they somehow think that the, the abundance of snow is tied to carbon. And so I, I'm, I fully believe, I fully believe this. There's a lot of people saying that, you know, uh, we can control the weather and now the government's manipulating the weather. I think that we can seed clouds. I think that things can happen in that regard. But I believe that there are people that are – enough in tune with weather patterns and cyclical uh, wherewithals that there were people that knew coming into 2023, 2024, we're going to have some weather volatility and extremities. And they knew to have this climate change thing ready, rocking and rolling. And then everything, all that snow is a factor of climate change. Well, that's, that's just, the Grand Canyon. Was that created on a beautiful day? I'm thinking it was a little drastic when that whole ditch started. I, well, and it all come out of your country, didn't it? It didn't the Grand yeah, Canyon. Yeah, we were glaciers. And that, and the glaciers were all over the northern hemisphere. That that, that water broke loose. Uh, they say that the Snake River into the Columbia and, that, and a bunch of that country was when the Great Salt Lake, or Lake Bonneville, they called it then, got so full that it finally broke through a, 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 kind of like a dirt dam mm -hmm. somewhere in northern and western Utah and dumped all that water down through where the big old lava flows were and, and it found a channel to the ocean. And that is now the Snake River. So, yeah, there's been a change or two back there uh, that, that have happened. And it, it'll happen again. There'll be other events. So, uh -huh. uh, I suppose the folks in Las Vegas are tickled. It, Lake Mead is raising. It's it's coming up. It may, I don't know that it'll get completely full, but it's getting coming up every day. So, Well, and the Snake River, because I've been there, I, I've been there at Idaho Falls, 
uh, excuse me, not the Idaho Falls, Twin Falls, and in that region right through there, that, that would be the exception to what I'm about to say. But you take the Platte River, where's the best farmland? The Platte River Valley. And that valley, uh, I mean, it didn't create the Grand Canyon, but that valley was created by severe flooding. And we don't yeah. stop to think about, hmm, why is this valley so cool? I mean, why is it the dirt so good here? The soil health is incredible. That's because it was flooding and bringing, washing out junk and bringing in new nutrients all the time. The Snake River, it looks like it was fairly drastic because it's, you wouldn't want to fall into that thing. Well, but the, if you look at if you look at those canyon walls, mm-hmm. that was earthquakes that split the canyon walls apart, and the water just found it out. Uh, oh, like sure. it, uh, look at the actual Twin Falls; it's nothing, and and those lava flows cracked open. They, that they the they didn't cut that, whereas the Grand Canyon was cut by the water flowing Erosion. down through the softer rock. Second half, the roll route will be a little softer with our touch when we get back after this. Of land, I want to remind you that Dan Perodic has got a land auction coming up. Murdo, South Dakota is where this 2,305 acres is located. That land auction is occurring on April the 12th, Central Time, 1 o'clock parodicauction.com you can see the lay of the land you can look at the tracks you can see how this right in the middle of uh right north of the white river middle of the state of south dakota this ranch could be ideal for a lot of folks who are interested in converting grass into beef or bison or horse whatever you want to do the ranch is yours that's the property rights aspect parodicauction.com p-i-r O-U-T-E-K, parodicauction.com, April the 12th. Welcome back. Roll out Trent Lewis alongside the erosion expert, Hank Vogler. <laughs> he always wanted to be noted no, as an erosion no. expert. I tell you, it doesn't really pay sometimes to, to tell the truth. I went on a dog and pony show one time, BLM, all these other people were there, wildlife people, everybody. And we were looking at a cut bank on a creek in Nevada. And there were old, old homesteads or, or shacks that people used to stay in. There was old ditches, all kinds of things. People used to irrigate with that water. And, of course, the environmentalist was saying was be cut grazing. And that's what made that cut bank. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, can I ask a question here? Now, all of this section right here, this really white stuff right here, pretty sure that's volcanic. And then you see these black streaks. That's organic matter from fires. So that's happened for erosion. And then right up here at the top where you have about eight inches of good dark soil, that was back in the era when people were not on welfare and and there was always some old guy out there <laughs> irrigating, and, and he was pushing a little water around on the top. So the cut bank probably came because there was a huge fire at some time back in the 1800s, 1700s, and it put a lot of organic material down here. Uh, that'd be my opinion. 
just just a wild guess on my part. Boy, I never got invited to those meetings ever again. No, but no. me. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, was so, just this, the, a pattern has developed since that point in time because there's been several meetings you've not been invited back to. <laughs> yeah, the story of my life. Sure cuts down on the old gas burner, though, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, on Friday, on, um, let's see, what I Trent on the loose, the Sage uh, Brush rebellion, rebellion himself, Rebel William Perry Penley, was on with me. You might want to watch that. He's a he's a treat. William Perry Pen was uh, him, Ronald Reagan, all of those guys. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's still kicking around, kicking the dust, trying to get people to wake up and utilize resources properly. But we had a good conversation. I'll send you a link. It's Trent on the Loose on Beck.News. Thank you. So, yeah, so we, we have our issues out here. How are the sheep holding up? Actually, better than the cows. Mm. Uh, the sheep, we've been able to find enough south faces. No, they're not hog fat. And now they're chasing what little smell of greens out there. And, and they're hard to hold together. We've got two boys with each bunch. And, and just... The same old, same old. It's just a month late of opening up where they should be recovering from eating uh, black sage leaves all winter to have a little bit of uh, sage and other things that should be coming on. But just, just uh, we're having issues with trying to figure out how to get our sheep shorn in a dry spot. Uh, I, I don't know if I said this last week. But yeah, you said they did it on the highway. Week. Yeah, yeah, and Dave, Dave Little just is gonna uh, either got finished up last night or, or got finished up this morning, uh, way way south. And of course, I I just don't know what to think about that. It's five below zero here. I hope it's a little warmer down there, but it could be rough for a few days. Got to keep them their bellies full so they don't freeze. But anyhow, it's just it's just a, a, another one of those tests. Maybe that's why. The environmentalists are so down on ranchers is if you're in the business very long, you very soon find out all about how Mother Nature can throw a, a, a curveball at you at any given time on any given day. And you have to figure out how to have solutions because you cannot change Mother Nature. Mother Nature's meaner than eight or nine of my ex-wives put together. So, I mean, it's just that's just the way it is. And, and so having to have that thought process, having to figure out how to to live with the instantaneous maneuvers by Mother Nature, uh, you think differently uh, and, and they can't. And, and communism, socialism has to have group think. Everybody has to have be a part of the group. And then those that are special favors or relatives they get the extra special treatment. So, yep. So there is no such thing as communism or socialism. It's a joke. It's called a dictatorship. And putting a smooth little name on it is just dumb. No such thing. 
So, uh, not really in the communism dictatorship category, but the biggest discussion I've had in the past week, Hank, is for, and I was in Minnesota, had a fantastic time at the uh, Murray County Cattlemen's event. Uh, Hadley, Minnesota, which I'm sure you know exactly where Hadley is. It's just about seven miles west of uh, Slayton, Minnesota, in case you're going to look for it, Hank. But one of the topics of discussion of the week is this winter has been so hard and so long that guys are having trouble keeping the wildlife, and in, in this case it's deer, deer off of their feed piles. And I had a fantastic conversation, went out to visit with uh, Phil Sweetman, who's at Curry, Minnesota, and he was talking about every morning there's 150 deer on his feed pile. North Dakota is actually a, a debating a, a baiting bill right now where they're trying, they are actually coming close. It should, baiting bill should only be about whether or not you're shooting the deer when you feed the deer. But there are people, I, I've had people tell me they've had game and fish authorities tell them that they can't even feed the deer somewhere else to keep them away from their, their main feed pile. It's becoming this big discussion about what's going on in the world of taking care of your livestock is that we're feeding a, the wildlife right along with the wa- livestock. And this is something that you have to deal with on a regular basis. Cause you go feeding your sheep, you could have 2000 horses show up. You'll be feeding them. They already have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the ones that can't get out of the snowbanks uh, look like death warmed over and, and nobody from the, Wild horse groups have shown up with a truckload of hay yet. And, and you know, part of that all goes back uh, a very long time ago, and they have not changed their thought process ever since. And it was back when Mr. Roosevelt, Theodore, uh, declared war on predators. And they made an effort to eliminate predators, and they did. And they had a huge response in uh, wildlife. Then they had some bad winters in the 20s, I believe it was, and there was huge die-offs. Well, nobody has brought that forward. Maybe they should have special hunts, late season hunts, things like that to, to take some of them out. But it's also the same thing. If you took a ruminant sample out of them and compared it to Loop City, Nebraska, ruminant cow it wouldn't even mm-hmm. they wouldn't even look the same right. so these cows don't when they're looking for the feed truck they run to the trees they run to the south faces and they scatter out well this year it didn't work the way he dug them out they were weak we got them to the feed ground some of them bloated and died they couldn't stand the change in their diet and uh, that's the adage that they're using with the wildlife that it'll change their diet. But then the hypocrisy is they've been feeding the elk at Jackson Hole, Wyoming for a gazillion years. Why, you know, why are they different than the deer or other animals like that? I, I don't know. There, there's, uh, I think it's all boiled down to money. They want to spend money for wildlife biologists not to protect the animals that they're supposed to be protecting. And, and then they can shake their head and say, well, it's just mother nature dog on it and then they have no fodder recruitment so then they have nobody that goes out and hunts 
because <laughs> there's nothing to hunt. I mean, it's just, it's another one of those crazy ideas that, you know, uh, the richness of alfalfa might not, if an animal's been eating on sticks and, and willow bark and then suddenly has a quick change of diet, it might be devastating. But maybe you could feed them a little straw. I'm sure if they're hungry, they'll eat anything. Mm-hmm. If they can break down cellulose into protein, into, into something that keeps them warm. We have an advantage in that regard that I think we undervalue. And again, I'm talking about Phil Sweetman. We had this great discussion. Even when I was a kid, Hank, nobody rolled up corn stalks. You know, the corn fodder after the, the corn's been harvested. And now you're either, most people are refusing to run cows on their corn stalks, which I disagree with. Cows should be on corn stalks because then they can be walking in there they can be pooping in there they can be consuming these forages but most everybody is harvesting and rolling up in a bale this corn fodder and it it does exactly what you do it it stretches good feed in those rumens and the other part is it makes great bedding it's just it's just a a cellulose material that we uh, i don't know that we properly appreciate what it gives to us in terms of animal care. And I use it for pig bedding and pigs chew on it and cattle eat it as feed. It's incredible. Isn't that what the the, uh, Amish and the Mennonites and the Quakers and all of that, some of them are still, isn't that what they do is they put the manures right back on their fields, plow it under uh, for the next crop. Isn't that part of organic farming? I mean, uh, get a life. They they don't want the herbicides, pesticides, fertilizers, all of those things. Well, I think that's the ideal thing to put back out there. It is the byproduct. It is. So, yep. Uh, the organic matter for soil health. Well, then ultimately, what you do instead of hauling the cows to the cornfield, you bring the cornfield to the cows. Then you clean up that yard and you haul it back out on the field and you do what you just described. But I'd rather take the cows to the corn myself. We've got to take a break. Last break. Hank Vogler will be back with well after this. Speaking of cows, let's talk about the Certified Piedmontese Opportunity. That's exactly what it is, an opportunity for Great Plains cattlemen to be a part of a system that really works and rewards the producer and generates a consistently tender Some people just don't understand the importance aspect of eating experience and the tenderness. I'm not poo-pooing marbling. I think marbling is wonderful. It's it's been our niche in the world. But folks, when it comes to eating beef and enjoying the beef time and time again, nothing is more satisfying than tender. Get more details about how the Piedmontese breed itself generates that tender eating experience. And check out the protein plethora that can be found on the web. Do all of that by going to the website, certifiedpiedmontese.com. New new details coming soon, certifiedpiedmontese.com. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Lewis alongside Hank Vogler. I got to tell you, Hank uh, mentioned that I was at Murray County Cattlemen. Hadley, Minnesota, on Saturday night. There were a few people disappointed that I showed up without you. They mentioned that, why didn't you bring Hank along? I said, because you can't get him out of White Pine County, Nevada. He's a hermit. Well, (laughs) 
you know, I, I wouldn't mind going to visit my wife in Las Vegas, for God's sake. <laughs> yes. See, most people, most, most people live with their wife. They don't have to go visit her. Oh, wait a minute. That's kind of what I do. I go home to visit with my wife, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you get the kill button lined up. Maybe find right. this offensive. But I'm going to tell you a true story. <laughs> and this happened a long time. Finger on the kill button. Go uh, ahead. <laughs> okay. When you start getting ahead of coyotes, this has to do with feeding animals, whatever you want to call it. Animals are very resilient, and coyotes are one of the most resilient of all. Every time you go out to the feed ground, when you're feeding cows in Southeast Oregon, or at least when I was younger, uh, There'd be coyotes there. They weren't necessarily killing calves. Yes, later on they might be eating afterbirth. And yes, if they had an opportunity, they'd kill a calf also. But you would see them just as it's breaking day as you're pulling up in the truck to fire up the old John Deere G. These coyotes would be barking at the cows. And the cow would get up. And, of course, cow's been asleep all night. First thing she does when she gets up is makes a bowl of oatmeal. And the coyotes would go to that hot biscuit of feed batter and eat it. And that was his nutrition guarantee for the day. I mentioned this to the state trapper, who then mentioned it to somebody at Oregon State. And you always know when you're getting ahead of predators because they have more offspring. Another little trick, the same thing as you put an animal on a higher plane and attrition, they have more offspring. So do coyotes. So, so, he so do people, man. by the way. He had these little... Yes. They, yeah, absolutely. So uh, he found a den with nine pups in it, which indicated that he was getting ahead of the coyotes. Good deal. Weren't killing my sheep. So he sent him to this biologist at that time at Oregon State. And they, of course, split him up in two or three groups. And one group was fed nothing but cow manure, fresh cow manure from the Oregon State dairy herd or whatever. And were as healthy as the other two control groups, three, three, and three, nine pups. No difference. So... It's called survival, uh, not very appetizing, but they did it. And, and, and coyotes know how to live. So then when they have a bad winter and there's lots of dying deer, they have twice as many pups the next spring because they got through winter living pretty large. And, and uh, with the cows that we've lost and the calves that have frozen to death in, in these horrible storms, uh, they're going to live pretty large, and so they're going to be uh, pupped up real good next spring. So I think it's called the cycle of life. Yeah, and it is. Survival. All of these things. So there you have it. I remember this has been a few years ago, and I might have to go research it again, but it's not common for brucellosis to transfer from pet to human. But there is a common denominator in most all cases of brucellosis transferring from 
pet to human. Do you know what that common denominator is? Uh, probably the feces. A, a, a recent trip to Yellowstone. Oh, okay. Because yeah. the dogs get in proximity uh, where the bison have recently defecated and <laughs> the people don't know what, you know, William Winston the third, the dog is out there eating while they're running around. <laughs> and then they get, get kiss the dog before they go to sleep. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I, I just let Bow Bow out. And, uh, which means, <laughs> Don't kiss Bow Bow when Bow Bow comes back, or you have Scrapey. Just <laughs> <laughs> oh, changed my attitude a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, uh, the Mediterranean variety of uh, brucellosis kills people, and. You know, the, the program to eradicate brucellosis had nothing to do with saving your animal or mine. It had to do with people. It's the same way with rabies. There was a huge rabies outbreak in Texas, I think, back in the 30s. And that's when animal damage control started to eliminate predators. And, of course, it also helped sheep people, cow people, chicken people, any anything else, because coyotes are not going to volunteer to starve to death. That's where ADC came along. And now uh, it's on the crosshairs of, of the environmental groups, uh, the, the, the terrorists, to get rid of it. But it was originally started to keep the rabies epidemic down from uh, wild animals to people, which skunks have it, the raccoons have it, coyotes get it, you know. So, again, we forget these things. You know, when your ox is not being gored, uh, you're not having any problem. <laughs> the state of Minnesota, I just did a search so I could get some data. Dog-to-dog uh, -dog spread of brucellosis occurs most often through breeding or contact with vaginal discharges, semen, birthing fluids, and urine. So it only stands to reason that when people go to Yellowstone, their dog is going to come in contact with something that increases their risk. And I don't think the risk is high, but I, what, I, what I said was that it's rare, but when it occurs, there's a trip to something like Yellowstone that <laughs> gives that dog interaction with feces, urine, or I can't imagine the dogs get close to where the bison are birthing, but who knows. Well, in the birthing process, uh, the afterbirth drips and comes off sometimes in little chunks in different places, so it, they yeah. may not be right at the yeah absolutely around, but. right so, uh, I, just, anyhow, I find know, that I, interesting information i mean this is the kind of good stuff you can't get on every other radio program hank well but nobody wants to talk about it it's it, it, it's it's not very exciting it really isn't so yeah you just uh, uh ignore it and, and uh, if you don't come in contact with it, you don't do it. It's like scrapey. Scrapey is usually confined to the blackface sheep uh, where uh, they're in confinement. And the same things, vaginal discharge, other things, passes it around as uh, some variants that look like 
Creutzfeldt-Hakob's disease, uh, but no direct link yet. Texas and a few southeastern states still have a scrapie issue. The rest of the country is uh, cleaned up. It's all marked with a different color, but yet we still have to, for seven years, have to turn in heads to the state veterinarian so he can check to see if you've got scrapie. And I'm more than reasonably sure if some old you was out there walking around in a circle and, and had all of her wool scraped off, I'm sure they'd kind of like, okay, nothing to see here. Everybody just keep moving. <laughs> it eliminated itself. But we had two goats, I think five or seven years ago in the state of Nevada and uh, in uh, the Western half that had scrapey and they eliminated the flock and oh goody, but we're still suffering under moving our livestock and everything else. I had to fill out a certificate. I sent two loads of lambs to Wisconsin and uh, they had, I had to have a certificate and my uh, number and they were weathers that are going to be slaughtered. Uh, and the incubation period is 36 months. They're going to be slaughtered. They won't even be 12 months old, but I had to have my uh, premise ID number uh, certificate on the bus with the with the sheep. <laughs> so it's just uh, nothing is closer to have, uh, eternity on earth than a government program. Ronald Thank you, Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Uh, I, I'm still hooked on this because I wanted to verify my own uh, sounded like craziness. The Department of Livestock in the state of Montana says that 106 Montana dogs tested positive in 2022 for the brucellosis and Montana Department of Livestock wanted to remind people that canine brucellosis cannot spread to cattle, which could be infected by different strains of brucellosis. But please be aware that it can spread from dogs to humans. <laughs> Don't take Biffy to Yellowstone. <laughs> <laughs> poor, old, poor old Fluffy's not going to get a kiss tonight. <laughs> he ruined it for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, shoot. <laughs> All right. Don Gender just got an email from Don Gender, who was there at Murray County Cattlemen. Too bad you couldn't have been with me, Hank. It was a fantastic time. And Angie Ford, the president of that wonderful outfit is going to be joining us thursday on this very program so stick stick around maybe hank should tune in thursday with angie we have successfully journeyed down this path connecting food producers to food consumers and canine owners <laughs> for both hank vogler and myself i remind you that all roads do lead to a rollout got it and finally today, let's talk about keeping you warm. How about keeping the water flowing? How about getting the water in the house? All of this is made possible with electricity. We have a supply of electricity. We're trying to demonize coal. For what reason? At the same time as China's building a coal plant a week, or I think it's one a month, we're trying to get rid of all of them. Why are they selling us the components to make wind and solar and building coal plants. 
Who, who stopped to think about this? It makes no sense whatsoever. We have an 800-year supply of coal in this country. Lignite Energy does a fantastic job educating people about the, how reliable coal is, how efficient coal is, how beneficial coal is to the environment, and what the reclamation program has been on 22,000 acres and getting the land back to its natural state. More details about the people behind the scenes that continue to keep the lights on. Life powered by coal at lignite.com. See you tomorrow.